Hi, I'm Laura Marsh, a field biologist turned entrepreneur. If you work in conservation or are even trying to get your foot in the door in this industry, you're probably sick of being underpaid, undervalued, and burnt out. These are the stories, interviews, and thoughts from folks just like you, driven by a passion to make a difference on our planet. This is Nova Conversations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I hope will be the first episode of our brand new podcast called Nova Conversations. Yes, Nova Conversations, where we are going to be interviewing biologists, conservationists, people who are early in their career, people who are decades into their career, and talk about the joys, the highs, but also the lows of working in this industry that is just so passionate driven and full of really enthusiastic, eager people who are willing to work for sometimes free uh, to get that experience they need to work in wildlife. So this podcast aims to be not just for field biologists and that type of people, whether you're a scientist or not, um, whether you're an environmentalist really or not, we just want to bring awareness to some of the issues and some of the challenges that we face. I mean, we were told that if you get a science degree and you're in this industry, there's a Robin, um, I have my window open, so I might be commenting on some of the local wildlife. But we were told that if you get a science degree, that you're going to be set. You will find a job really easily. And unfortunately, with our history of care and preservation for the planet, that's just not the way it goes. It's hard. It's challenging to find a career that is fulfilling and passionate in wildlife conservation and in the conservation realm in general, not specific to wildlife, but especially working with wildlife. Um, you're expected to do a lot because you get this amazing experience hands-on with animals. But then as you grow and develop and increase your skill set, you start to realize that you need to get paid. <laughs> you need to get paid what you're worth. Um, and so I started this podcast because I, I started Nova Conservation, and people even call it um, Nova Conservation. It kind of is confusing anyway, so I thought I'd add to the confusion a little bit and just go ahead and make a podcast with the name Nova Conversations so that we can have these conversations. We can have these dialogues with people who are knee-deep in the industry and really hear their stories and hear their struggles and hear their hardships and the, the benefits of working in conservation, but also the really hard parts about having no money and sometimes having to work three, four or five <laughs> jobs on the side. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Some of these people to what they do to be in this industry and to continue it because we, we are so passionate. So episode one, I just wanted to start talking about me and my background. Um, as I was preparing for this, I just took some notes about my history and my background in biology and how I got to be where I am now, which is starting an organization 
on my own, <laughs> which is crazy, and why I did this. So it was really cathartic to journal and, and process through everything I have gone through in the past, you know, 10, 15 years. And um, I wanted to share that with you. So you have a little bit of a better understanding of my story, my passion, my background, and why I started NOAA Conservation. So this is episode one, a conversation with myself. <laughs> I will just be talking. Um, my name is Laura Marsh, and I wanted to start off each episode just talking about, you know, a funny field story or your favorite field story. And it doesn't have to be a field story, maybe something in nature, an experience you had in nature. So something you're proud of, something that it was scary, just a crazy story. What's the story you like to tell people when you're at a party and they say, what do you do? And you say, I'm a biologist. And, and they say, whoa, that's cool. Like instead of them being like, oh, I want to tell you about this bald eagle I saw one time. What's the story you want to share with people? So for me, the story I am most proud of in the field is that I did a really hardcore field season while pregnant the entire time with my second child. Uh, I worked with this Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center and we spent three months in the field catching cuckoos. And I'm not gonna lie that some of those days were the hardest days in the field that I've ever had. Maybe not just even in the field, but in my life. <laughs> because we had to haul um, tons of equipment and we had to clear these net lanes and work in very strenuous conditions. So I just wanted to acknowledge and thank myself that I am proud of myself for doing that intense field season with some amazing people who made it worthwhile. Um, Miranda and Callie, shout out to you guys. But I, I am just really proud of myself for accomplishing that while I was pregnant. And I feel like if I could do that, I can do anything, you know? So that's my story that I like to share. And that was spring 2019. So I'm going to back up and go down the memory train here, back of the dump truck a little bit and go back to the origin of my story for conservation and how I became passionate about this. Uh, so we, growing up, I, I was born in Buffalo, New York. I lived in Memphis, Tennessee most of my life uh, from fourth grade on. So we, I was never really surrounded and inundated by nature. My, my parents didn't like take us camping every single weekend or go on hikes regularly. I wasn't one of those um, kids who just like is out in nature all the time, but I did have a fondness for animals and that was really clear growing up. But my nature activism passion didn't really start until actually in my senior year of high school. I remember it was Spanish for <laughs> Ms. Crotty's class and she put on a video instead of teaching. She put on a video about a Brazilian activist named, named Chico Mendes and how he wanted to protect his land, his people, his community, his culture in Brazil from the the bad capitalist white people that were coming in to take over the, I think it was they wanted like rubber trees or something. I can't remember, but his 
his story and his passion was so moving that I ended up becoming a vegetarian that summer after my senior year of high school and committed everything I had to environmentalism. Launched into college as a bright-eyed, starry-eyed freshman at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville in the summer of, well, August 2006. And I, you know, I went into college being told, since I was good at math and science, my family encouraged me to do engineering. And that's a solid career choice. So I started off in engineering. (laughs) It was awful. (laughs) I, but I hated engineering. I am so glad I listened to my gut and got out of there quickly. I knew after the first two weeks, I was in tears with like my engineering physics homework, engineering 101. I I can't do this another four years, let alone my entire life. No. So I, I didn't (laughs) and I left. And that was probably one of the better decisions of my life is just going with my gut. So how did I pick my major? Well, I don't know how things are now, but we had a course catalog. So I flipped to the back of my course catalog, my physical catalog. I'm sure it's all online now, but I just started reading over the classes and the, the um, names of the classes that sounded most interesting were, you know, conservation biology, aquatic ecology, ichthyology, study of fish. And I just started circling those and they all fell into EEB, EEB. What is EEB? Ecology and evolutionary biology. And that's what I ended up studying. I got a uh, uh, bachelor's of science in biology, specifically a concentration in ecology and evolutionary biology from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. I graduated in 2010 uh, and I, I loved every second of my courses. I took community ecology. We went to the Great Smoky Mountains quite a few times and studied, I mean, one of my professors and my advisor was Dr. Nate Sanders, and he was an ant mycologist, I think. No, that's fungi. Ooh, that was bad. What's an ant? Um, they have the they have the acid formic formidae, maybe. I'm not one of those scientists who like knows like can remember facts. Some people are really good at that. I am not. So um, anyway, so whatever an ant ecologist is, we. I learned more about ants than I've ever thought I'd ever know, <laughs> except what their scientific name is and family is apparently. And then I spent one summer working at the Klassen lab, Amy Klassen, and she and her grad students were studying the impact of c- climate change on different plant species through the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And I was just, oh my gosh, that was so cool to work in conjunction with all these scientists. I, I, I'm i not a plant person uh, as far as like, I don't like to study plants necessarily, but the work they were doing and are still continuing to do is so important. They had these systems set up where they pump different levels of carbon dioxide into these contained biospheres to see how plants would react. So I just worked as a technician that summer. And I learned about myself. I learned that I really like being outside and I really like being sweaty and gross. (laughs) It doesn't bother me. Some people, it bothers. I would bike to campus 
which was a few miles away. And then I would work all day outside, get really sweaty, gross, and then bike home and like love it. That's what I would do. That was my, I, I was kind of, it almost in the sense that I love the discomfort of it because it was kind of weird to say. I love the discomfort of it because it meant that I was doing something that I thought was worthwhile. So the sweatier, the the more hardcore the project, the more intense it was, the more value I felt I was contributing, which probably has some problems <laughs> anyway. But even like exercise, I would I was teaching exercise classes for a while and I felt like the sweatier I got, the more I was working and the better the outcome would be. And that's not always the case, but that <laughs> is a separate topic. So I do really love being outside and getting sweaty and gross and being in spider webs. Like it doesn't bother me. Like it bothers some people. So I took that to my advantage. And after graduation, I applied for an AmeriCorps position, which I highly recommend. Um, you don't get paid much, but, and that's the other thing is like, I had this support system behind me. I have a supportive family and they were able to be my safety net essentially because AmeriCorps positions don't pay much, but at least they pay something and then they give you a graduate stipend, which is awesome. So not everyone can do it though. And I, I recognize that and I see the value that it offers, but I also see the privilege I had. Now about my personal lifestyle, I got married in 2008 um, and I got married when I was 20 years old. So I was married very young, still am. Uh, it's now almost 13 years. So I got, when I got married, I was still in undergrad. So I went through all this process all while being a young, <laughs> new wife. I went to AmeriCorps. I did all that. I, um, oh, I even forgot to mention, I studied abroad in Costa Rica right before I got married. So that was spring 2008. And that was a really cool experience too. It was my first, I think my first major trip alone, but like my first trip out of the country. Um, it really just opened my eyes up to a lot of global conservation issues. But then I got back and was focused on like wedding planning and all that. Anyway, so I got married young and after graduating from undergrad, I did the year of AmeriCorps at a nature center in Knoxville called Iams Nature Center, which I love Iams. I miss it so much, but I learned just an incredible amount. I was a naturalist and an educator. Um, I took out animals to show to people. I taught, I led hikes. I learned a lot about birds, a lot about nature, and I loved just about every second of it. Like again, I would bike through this mountain biking park on my way into going to Iams, bike to work, work outside all day, pulling weeds, pulling poison ivy. And then I'd sometimes even like run and then I'd bike home. So I was, I was a little bit intense, a little bit too intense probably. So yeah, um, I, through this time, after my year of AmeriCorps, I did look into some research experience for undergrads are used in the years prior. I, I didn't, I think I applied to one, but I didn't get it. And I never really even heard of biological field positions um, 
or was advised to go on Texas A&M Job Board. I was advised to go on Ecolog and um, my, the, the push, because I was good at school, the push for me from some of my advisors was to do more academic focused stuff. And I, I liked school and I liked reading papers and I could interpret and use my brain and do all that. But I really did like the hands-on stuff. I knew that was the more the conservation biology where you're actually engaging in hands-on physical conservation work. It does have, it just feels like you're doing something productive instead of sitting at a computer and like typing papers, but who's, who's going to read it or like analyzing data. I don't know. Looking back, I can see why people pushed me into academia just because I was good at academics, but I kind of didn't really respond well to that. I just wanted to travel. I wanted to, like when I discovered Texas A&M Job Board, I remember like reading the job descriptions and the locations and all these places where you could go and work in wildlife and thinking, you could get paid to do this? And I would dream about some of these opportunities. And I didn't feel like I could do them because I was married. I was young and I was married and I didn't feel like I could like leave my husband. So to do these things, even though they were temporary, and I did end up doing that, spoiler alert, but um, I didn't feel like I could. So after AmeriCorps year 2011, we moved to Chattanooga for my husband's job. And I love Chattanooga, and I'm really grateful we ended up moving here, but I didn't like it at first because I didn't know what I was doing, and that was hard. It's hard to get settled into a new place. I had applied to grad school at UT Knoxville, and I thought with my straight A record, like I was a shoe-in, didn't get in. I thought the world had ended. <laughs> How can they not take me? I didn't get into grad school at UT Knoxville the first time I applied, and only time I applied. I applied for a master's position. I didn't want to be a PhD. So that was a shock. And then we came to Chattanooga, and I worked as a naturalist on a boat. And I bounced around through different environmental ed positions. I worked at the Tennessee Aquarium. I worked at the Chattanooga Zoo. I've worked at the um, Reflection Writing, which is the nature center here. I've worked at all these different organizations. And I, I really, like I said, I dreamed of doing field work away. But I didn't think I could leave. And that's part of this story is kind of some like religious trauma a little bit. And I'm not going to get into all that, but you know, that's a thing in the South. Um, so I, I just, I knew I wanted to be in the field. I've done all the teaching. I did the kids. I did the kids stuff. I did the summer camps. I did all of that. And I needed field experience because that's what I wanted to do. So I finally reached out to Dr. David Aborn at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga to see if I could get in with his master's program and do some field work, specifically bird banding, because he was the ornithologist on campus. Um, he accepted me as a grad student. I created a project, um, I, my thesis, where I conducted bird banding at a local park in Chattanooga and I worked under his permit. 
So I was collecting data. Specifically, I was looking at the bird's kind of body mass index to see if they're in different energetic conditions near trails or away from trails and human activity. But that was my main thesis project. So I worked on that. I think I started my master's in 2012. So in the midst of that, I was still, you know, doing my environmental ed stuff and still felt like I couldn't leave Danny, <laughs> my husband, my dear, sweet, wonderful husband. Um, but I was still pining after these field jobs. Like I wanted to leave so bad and go on these adventures. If you know anything about the Enneagram, the Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, is a personality test and I love it. I am a really high seven. So fun, adventure, do, 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 go, go, go. Never struggle or like struggle to be content a lot of the time. So uh, this is, this is probably too much information, but I, um, it feels really good to just tell my story. You know, I didn't know that that was okay at the time. I thought something was wrong with me because I couldn't be content where I was. I saw these field jobs and just thought like, I need to be content. I need to be content. And again, that kind of goes back to this religious trauma stuff, but I finally accepted the fact that I could travel and I could go away for a few months and it wouldn't be the end of the world. So I applied for a job in California with the Southern Sierra Research Station. My first field job, I think my first real field job, away. I still love it. <laughs> we worked on yellow-billed cuckoos. So that was the summer of 2014. I left for California and it was so great. I loved every second. I loved being in a new house with new people and hearing their stories and being thrown together with these random strangers, Alexi and Laura Dahl and K-Grabs, David Lumpkin, Joshua Fever, Casey Schapnitz, all these people that became my close crew of friends, for good or bad, we had to have each other's backs in the field when you were out surveying or radioing or, hey, I'm lost, I don't know where I am, or like, my GPS is broken, I forgot a battery. We just, I loved it. It was hard, but I loved it. Yeah, I, I have so many good memories. I found a, I found a cuckoo nest, which was awesome. So I'll just tell you the story really quick because it was really fun. I am trying to keep this under 30 minutes, so I got to hurry up because I'm on 2014 and I have to get to 2021. <laughs> I was, you do this morning exchange survey, so you go out at the crack of dawn. Oh, I forgot another one of my favorite stories, and I have a video of it, is I was out in the field, the same place where I found the nest, um, and that a family of skunks came right up to me. They were, I mean, they're so blind. And it was a mom and like four babies. And they just walked right up to me. And then they were like, who are you? And smelled me and ran away. But then they got caught and at a dead end. And then they turned around and ran back, back to me. <laughs> and then the mom was like, oh no, I gotta get away from here. So she ran off and like left her babies behind. And the babies were in this little cute little pile with their tails all sticking up in the air. And the, and then the mom had to like come back and be like, okay, we're going this way. So cute. So cute. So I, that video, I think is on YouTube. Maybe it's not. I don't know. 
Anyway, yeah, it's on YouTube. Point is, I was doing the morning exchange, so the male and the female cuckoo when they're on the nest, the male typically incubates, and so he exchanges with the female to incubate the eggs over, or the um, watch the chicks on the nest over at like right at the crack of dawn so it can help triangulate where the nest is. So I knew that there was a nest like in front of me somewhere because I had heard this exchange and I was like, I just got to find it. I just got to find it. And I'm looking up, looking up because they're canopy dwellers and they make their nests way up high, right? And typically in like trees that are quite large and that's where they stay. And I couldn't find the nest. I'm searching. Like finally I gave up and I turn around and like staring at me, eye level is is a cuckoo on a nest, right like three feet in front of me. She's just like looking at me. <laughs> I was looking way up here, and she was eye level, and it and a tiny little tree with like three twigs barely holding it up, probably a young female. Uh, that was so interesting, and I like backed away slowly, and I flagged it, and I marked it, and did all the stuff, and. Like I got a nest, <laughs> so it was so it that was just a really cool moment for me to find a nest because their nests are not easy to find. So I had my passion. I was like, this is what I love: field work. I want to travel and do these field jobs. Found it. We went. I went home to Tennessee. I had like one a little bit left of grad school to finish, and I was like already looking for the next field job. And my husband was like all right, so you're ready to start a family. And I was like, oh, well, I want to do another field season. And he was like, wait, 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 I want to start a family. And I was like, I just discovered this passion, this unleashed my passion for conservation efforts, field connection, being in nature. And I can't go back. Like Pandora's box was open, you know, I was already like I said, looking on Texas a and job board every day for the next job. And then I got pregnant. <laughs> so I won't go too much into that. Those years were really hard with my first, um, early years. I finished my master's, um, and I was super pregnant when I defended my thesis. I did my thesis defense, but I did it. I graduated, like my diploma, I didn't walk graduation but my diploma is the date of graduation is the day before my first son was born so in 2015 I became a mom and uh I <laughs> it was it was tough because you have this passion and now you're expected to um be passionate about your kid it was a really tough time I, um, I tried my best to be content in Chattanooga. I tried my best to, um, work at all the local organizations that I could get field work with. I especially worked a lot and volunteered. I, I volunteered with the Tennessee River Birds Trust because they were the only ones locally doing bird research that I could work with consistently. And, um, I did a lot of work with them and tried to do as much as possible to get out in the field as much as possible <laughs> and put my kid in daycare as much as possible. I just wanted to be in nature. 
but it was really hard because I didn't know, like I just got my master's and I just found my passion and I didn't have a way to use it. I didn't have an outlet for it. And instead I was stuck at home being a mom and that felt really confining and trapped. Um, things started to get a little bit better when I, um, I did, I ended up teaching at the university and that was still hard, but it still felt worthwhile, but it was hard because I knew I wanted to be out in the field and it felt like I was just kind of teaching just to teach. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, I, I felt like I needed to be thankful and grateful for that job of teaching adjunct at the local university and I was for the time I enjoyed it but I knew it, it wasn't my passion and that's okay I things started to get much better when I started to take initiative and plan my own ways of wanting to do field work let me word it this way I met a person his name is Jonathan Carpenter, and we started planning a trip to Costa Rica to bring students on this BioBlitz adventure, a research expedition that took people to Costa Rica to give back to science. And I thought, this is, this is where my bread and butter is going to be. So we planned that. So we went to Costa Rica, we planned this trip, and we used the iNaturalist app to document species. And um, let me tell you, it was great. It was so much fun. We took three undergraduate students, Ashley Bosecker, Valerie Stevens, and Nick. Uh, Nick, I'm blanking on your last name. I'm sorry, Nick, if you're listening. And then we took a graduate student, Paul Eric Backlund, and JC and I went and we went to we stayed in a hostel and stayed as a group and we went around to all of these national parks and protected areas in Monteverde and it was lovely it was just awesome I I want to talk more about that but my, my time is already running up so I just knew I I loved every aspect of it but I'm going to talk about the one negative part for me was that I didn't feel like I was really contributing to science. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, we were using iNaturalist and we were documenting species, but I wanted to, when I go to coast, like a place like Costa Rica, I wanted to be in the field with a biologist who is doing a project, like a grad student or a professor mm -hmm. and see what they're doing and work with them and actually make a difference while I'm there. I didn't feel like I was making a difference while I was there. It felt like I was still too, too touristy. So I ended up staying in, in Costa Rica an extra week and I worked with a company that's now defunct um, studying um, bare-necked umbrella birds, which is a really cool, rare species. I got to see a bunch of bare-necked umbrella birds, which is awesome. But that also was more like a fun excursion. It didn't really get back to science. We weren't contributing to the scientific integrity of the species, of protecting the species and what that might look like. It was just, how do we find them? I don't know. <laughs> Lots of thoughts there. I will 
circle back to that probably at a later date. So Costa Rica, Costa Rica, my second trip to Costa Rica, mainly Monteverde, was early 2017. The spring of 2017, I worked with, I did a field tech job with, you know, as a mom, I figured it out um, and daycare and situations and things like that so that my child wasn't abandoned, obviously. But I worked a field tech job through Alabama A&M University. And I worked with cerulean warblers, which I was stoked about. I love cerulean warblers. So I worked with Daniel Gwynn. He was the other field tech. And Richard Borthwick. And uh, yeah, I just was remembering your name. That was a great crew. We had a great time. I really loved that. That was another hardcore field season, but it was so much fun. Because cerulean warblers are amazing. Such great work. So then... 2018 rolls around. I taught again in the fall. Um, I went to Africa in January of 2018 to help a friend nonprofit. And that's another story as well, where, you know, I, I did feel like looking back, the white savior complex kind of ideal ideology. I don't want to propagate that and promote that, but I really enjoyed being in Africa and seeing Africa for the first time. We were in specifically, I flew into South Africa, Johannesburg, and we traveled to East Watini. So we went to, which was um, Swaziland at the time, and then it was, its name was changed to East Watini at some point, I think maybe even while it was there, I don't know. Point is, I had a great time. We did Kruger National Park, we did all the sightseeing stuff, I saw a secretary bird, I saw tons of species that you only see in zoos here, and Love, loved every second of it. While I was there, I met some really great, interesting people. But again, I wanted to meet and interact with someone who was a biologist. For example, I heard about this biologist who does vulture studies. And I was like, I want to connect with that person. And just, just as a biologist myself, just spend a day in the field with this guy, whoever he is. I want to work with vultures in Africa, not just be a regular old tourist. So I want to give back. I want to give back to conservation, whether it's monetarily giving my money or giving my time and donating my time to a project. So Africa was great. I did another field season here locally in Chattanooga with tree swallows, um, spring of 2018. And then fall 2018, I took a field job three months away in Alabama in southern Alabama and I worked almost every day and we did bird banding so it was mainly the extraction person so I extracted the birds from the nets and walked the trails and the loops to help a study a research study and I loved I love every aspect of bird banding but this is the job that I started to really think like, these long days in the field some days, you know, you catch a lot of species and a lot of birds and you're really busy. Other days you catch nothing. One or two birds. And those long mornings, you really start to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? So now it's 2018. I've been in the conservation world for, you know, quite a few years. Done different field studies, done different field technician jobs had some great experiences 
Is this really the best way to contribute to conservation? Walking around in a muddy bog <laughs> and putting some bands on birds? I don't know. Like, I have a master's and I was spending some days, I spent like all day just repairing mist nets, which is like a tedious task that anyone can do. I just felt like there was something more I could do with my passions, with my skills. What is it? I thought maybe I would end up getting a PhD. I really pursued that for a while. Thought about going back to UT Knoxville. Um, and in the end, I decided not to get a PhD because mainly two, two big reasons. First of all, I couldn't even decide on one project I wanted to work on or a research focus. I, I love, I love too many things that to pick one was really hard for me. So that was the first thing I couldn't commit to a project. Second, I also just didn't feel like I wanted to be pigeonholed into academia. And that was kind of the verbiage or the, the attitude I was getting of like, um, if you get a PhD, then you no longer really do much field work or you're, you're supposed to be responsible for this publish or perish mentality where you're just at a computer running stats, tr trying to get grants, trying to work your tail off just to prove you're, you are with it academically, all while teaching and being on all these committees through a university or an institution. I mean, you could do that lifestyle. I felt like that was not the right lifestyle for me. And after all these years in the field and being a mom, doing a lot of self-reflective, self-aware processing, I had to listen to my gut again. I, at, at the best sense, I felt like I could give that PhD position to someone else who really wanted it. Or if I was going to like compete and, and um, spend a lot of time working on these grants, then at least I would prefer it goes to someone who really, really wants a PhD position because I didn't want it bad enough. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Then I was like, do I start a nonprofit? Thought maybe that's the route I would go. And a lot of people do think Nova Conservation is a nonprofit and with good reason, like it, it's structured similarly to a nonprofit. The thing is the environmental industry doesn't need another nonprofit. It really, we need a different way to get funds to, to conservation and we need to kind of look at it in a different light so i'm trying to do something different so back to the field stuff i'll just keep going because i'm on a roll now i finished my alabama job came back home had a good hard talk with my husband and like he really wanted another kid and i was like uh, environmentally the guilt there, I mean, this is a personal story. I don't want to go too into the personal details, but we ended up trying again for another kid and got pregnant. All while I realized I was starting a job with the Smithsonian <laughs> the spring of 2019. So I had to tell my new boss that I was already like 10 weeks pregnant. Maybe I was like six weeks pregnant at the time of starting the job. And she was like, oh, great. <laughs> But I was like, I promise it's not going to affect my work ethic. I feel bad. I feel bad. 
it, it and it didn't for the most part. There were some days, especially going to Williams Island, <laughs> that it was really difficult. But um, for the most part, I'm pretty. I did. I thankfully felt good enough while pregnant to conduct intense field work. So we did a yellow-billed cuckoo project with the Smithsonian, and we put um, these advanced tags, transmitters on yellow-billed cuckoos. It was really fun. It was really hard to catch them sometimes, those freaking buggers. But I still loved it. I still love field work. I, even the hard days, I loved. Um, I look back on with fondness. <laughs> Um, waking up at like 3.30 in the morning to go hike into a site to so you can get set up and and be there before the sun rises right at the crack of dawn to hear the first cuckoo calls and start trying to catch. Just, I just loved it. And people don't always love that. So I don't know. But again, how do you help conservation most effectively? These jobs don't pay a lot. I did it because I loved it and I didn't care for the most part, but I can understand if you don't have a support system, if you don't have a family that you can financially fall back on or a partner or someone, you can't do this. You can't do this work. And that became really apparent. It started um, in the Alabama job um, where I was talking to other people in as the field tech lifestyle started People started talking about it on Twitter and they just started opening up about these conversations and saying that this isn't right. And I was like, yeah, it's not okay. Um, oh, the paper by Ariel Forner and Alex Bond came out in 2015, I want to say. And that really started to open the doors. The Manga Bay article started to make people aware of like this needs to change and we need to start having these conversations. So after all my time in the field. And you know, the other thing too, I love about being in the field is some days you are by yourself and you're walking through the woods and you're looking for a specific species, whether it's a cerulean warbler or a yellow-billed cuckoo or whatever. And you can just look at trees and look at nature and think about what they need. What does the earth need? And the, the thing that kept coming back for me was conservation needs more money. We need more sustainable funds. We need to stop competing for donations and grants, even government grants, which are limited when it comes to just wildlife, non-game species. It's just a underfunded, consistently, all the time, underfunded industry. And it shouldn't be because it's so valuable. So people need to see the value in it. And I'm not talking about biologists and people who are in the field and, and do value it. I'm talking about the general public. We need to stop valuing what's on TV and The Bachelor and like these guilty pleasures and putting so much value in the celebrities and the people magazines and start valuing what actually gives us clean air and clean water and a place to call home for species. Those ecosystem services that are so intrinsically important to the survival of the human species are crazy, crazy important. And we, as the human population, don't value that enough. So I am trying something a little new. I started Nova Conservation right at the turn of 2020. 
thought that I was going to be an ecotourism company that took people out on research adventures, you know, connecting with biologists and seeing the work that we do in order to give a general, the general public a more acute look at how science is done and how interesting it can be if you join us. And then those people, the general public, will pay for these experiences because they see the value in it. Not only do they like release a bird and can see it fly away, but they bring that knowledge home and conserve in their local communities. Uh, then the pandemic hit. So I had this idea to build a database of all these experiences, not just me being the one to connect people with the trips and coordinate the logistics of these opportunities, but just see what's already out there and provide a platform to connect people. And so we worked on that for a while. And now I'm realizing very quickly that not all jobs, not all organizations are created equal. And especially in America, we have a very high ethical standard, which is really good. Um, but organizations across the globe have different standards of ethics. So we are trying to create this database that reviews all the conservation organizations to make sure that they really are doing their part in the different levels of ethics that are involved. Whether it's animal welfare, like for example, if you catch a bird, are you taking all the proper protocols and all of the everything in you to make sure that that bird is safe and um, stressed minimally and is released in a timely manner? You're not uh, abusing it. So the ethics are the highest standard. But also because people need to be paid what they're worth. I need to be paid what I'm worth. Um, all of my biologist friends need to be paid what they're worth. And there's just not enough money right now. It's the simple economics of it, which is that there are too many people wanting to be in the wildlife conservation industry and not enough jobs. So we fight and we push and we scrap and we <laughs> try our best to make ourselves look and um, get those positions. And we're even willing to take money less than what we're worth because those positions are so valuable. Sometimes we even work for free. I've done that many times. I'm doing it right now to start Nova. I'm not taking a salary. So I, I want to facilitate these conversations. And I tried to do that with a panel, um, but it didn't go so well. <laughs> so now what I'm doing is I would like to have a podcast where I invite you. I want you to come on and share your story of being in the field, what it's like working your tail off and not getting valued and how that impacts you, how the ethics of the organization that you work for, how that has translated. We're not going to probably, if it's negative, we're not going to name names, but you can anonymously go onto our database review site and review them for yourself. I just want to hear your stories. I also want to hear the stories of the nonprofit organizations and those ones that are out there that are doing like good work and how you came to be and how, how are you treating your employees? How are you able to pay them? How are you able to take volunteers in an ethical way? What are you working on? What are your goals? How are you increasing your 
appreciation for your interns and volunteers um, because we're speaking up and saying we need to be valued. But what are your struggles too? How can we find solutions? Because we know that you don't have the money to pay, but we also know that we are valuable. And if we have experience, in my case, a master's degree and nine years of experience, and it was still hard to find work. It's still hard to find work. So we, I want to find solutions to this. And I've tried um, different, for, not forums, but different formats. I've tried blogging. I've tried um, like different posts, content posts. I've tried having like an open panel. And I'm going to try this now. I would like to try it and see how it works. How we can have like lighthearted and fun and interesting conversations about your experience as a field biologist and what you want to share with the world about your experience in the field. So Nova Conversations, <laughs> Nova Conservations, <laughs> Nova Conservation introduces Nova Conversations, where we talk to you, a field biologist in the nonprofit sector, in the biological community or conservation world, where you share your trials and tribulations, your highs and your lows, your field experiences, whether it's good or bad, and we work towards solutions to maybe being valued and increasing in diversity and inclusion and ethicality, um, decolonizing, especially if you're um, a white or white passing person who is in a country that needs more local and indigenous support. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say some things that are wrong. And I know I'm going to apologize right off the front end. I'm sorry. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm doing my best as we all are. So um, please let us know if you would like to share your story. And we look forward to hearing you on Nova Conversations. Thanks for listening. And remember, ethical conservation needs and deserves funds so that passionate people like you can get paid what they're worth. There's enough money to go around. Let's go get it and use it for the good of our planet.